You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Fay, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know, when lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you like, you'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi. This is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Fresh off their appearance on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 8, Alex Michaels, also known as Alexis Michelle, has had a hit cabaret show at Joe's Pub and appeared in Disney's Gay Days in Anaheim. An accomplished theater performer, Alex performed off-Broadway and in tours of Big Apple Circus, Field of Mars, Chapter One, Hair, Little Shop of Horrors, and Oklahoma. Look out for their upcoming Witch Perfect Tour with fellow drag stars Scarlet Envy, Tina Burner and more. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much. Hi, thanks for having Hi. me. It's such a joy to have you on the show. It's a joy to be here. So, Alex, I would love to know your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an artist. I think there was a definitive moment when I fell in love with the theater. I think the the seedlings came earlier from watching great movie musicals like The Sound of Music and My Fair Lady and Grease and the 1980s Annie, which to me is really the only Annie that matters. Um, But um, so this sort of adoration I had for... uh, for musicals and performers and particularly powerhouse female performers was, was there starting it at this early stage. But when I was five years old, I got to see the original cast of the original production of into the woods on Broadway. (gasps) And, and I think I said after that, I said, Oh, this is what I want to do. 
I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to be on stage. I want to be in the theater. I want to be on Broadway. And really, my whole educational and pre-professional and then professional life has been sort of in that direction since then. So it really was a lightning strikes moment. That's so beautiful. That was the Joanne, Joanna Gleason into the yeah. woods. And, right? I, I had a, yeah. a very special moment. So I met Joanna Gleason briefly after um, a performance of The Normal Heart at the Public Theater uh. um, that she co-starred in with Raul Esparza. And I told her then, that night that I met her, uh, how seeing her into the woods sort of set my whole life on this course and she said that she's heard it before including from Raul Esparza he also saw that production and her in it and he said to her that it changed the course of his life as well Um, and uh, I had a really special moment I'm gonna find the photo Um, friends of mine um, wrote this beautiful book called A is for Audra. It's a children's book. Um, and I love that book. You know the book. I I love uh, that book. I know a child who reads it all the time. It's a, it's a, it's a great book. Beautiful book and illustrated. And and yes. Yes. By uh, Peter Emmerich and, um, uh, and Johnny Allman wrote the book and they invited me to the launch of that book, mm-hmm. uh, along with Joanna Gleason and Christine Ebersole. Oh. And um, I had a truly unforgettable experience. Let me see, I'm just pulling up the photo to show you here. Um, so here I am with um, Joanna. <gasps> And Christine Ebersole, and I'm in a, a pretty accurate recreation of Joanna Gleason's <laughs> Baker's Wife costume. And so I got to meet these two, you know, incredible Broadway legends and nice. um, got to read <gasps> A is for Audra with Joanna and Christine oh. for a room full of excited kids and adults alike. It's beautiful. Oh, I love that book too. And I love that moment. Yeah. Can you bring me back then to that, that time you're sitting in the audience where you were living in New York. Is that right? You're from New York. Born and raised New Yorker. And I'd been to the, uh, you know, I've told people, uh, that Into the Woods was the first Broadway show I saw. It's not really the truth. The first Broadway show I saw was Cats, um, <laughs> which which enchanted me as well, but it, I didn't catch the bug right away in the way that seeing Into the Woods did. But, but I just remember, obviously now and for many years, I've been a total Sondheim fanatic. And even at that young age, and even though Sondheim is quite advanced musically, that music spoke to me, got into my ear and into my body. And, and it, it touched me in a way that other music hadn't before. 
Um, so the the music definitely, you know, left an imprint on me. Um, there was also some elements of just stagecraft and stage magic in that production, which by today's standards are, you know, sort of hugely out of date. But um, but at that time, I was just enchanted by the, the magic of theatrical storytelling. And I think when I went home, because I saw it with my dad, and when I went home and I told my mom about this experience, what I remember being so enchanted by at first, of course, as, as I as I aged with this piece, it started to mean more to me in different ways. But what I remember really striking me was I couldn't believe that they had woven these different fairy tales together. And I said, oh, and then this character from this one met this one from this one. And it was just sort of like unbelievable to me that you could tell a story weaving together pre-existing stories. Yeah. So how did little Alex go from loving into the woods and being transformed to incorporating theater into your life? It wasn't terribly long after that, that I got into my first acting class. Okay. I, that was, if that was at five, I would say at seven, is when I started in my first acting class. I had, um, I went to Little Red Schoolhouse here in the village uh, in New York, yeah. and some of my schoolmates um, were the Carneys, uh, Reeve Carney, oh, yes. Zane Carney, and Paris Carney, and um, their uh, their mom Marty was taking them to an acting class in Soho, coincidentally around the corner from where I grew up. And uh, through Marty and the Carney kids, I got involved with this acting class. And oh. so that was, in, that was in first grade. That was my first acting class. And I think actually Marty took me uh, along with her kids to my first professional audition for a Broadway play. Uh, none of us booked it. <laughs> what was it? Do you mind sharing? I don't remember. Oh, okay. I know I just don't remember the oh, title. Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I want to say it had baboons in the title. That seems to ring a bell. But it was a cast with a lot of kids. Okay. So there were there were definitely like tracks for for each of us available. Uh, um, okay. And uh, of course, Zane went on to book... Uh, a sitcom in LA a few years later and their whole family moved to LA and we kind of lost touch over the years. And then I reconnected with the whole clan when um, Reeve was starring as Spider-Man on Broadway and Zane was playing uh, electric guitar in the pit for that. And um, of course, you know, Reeve continues to go on to acting success in, on Broadway and in, you know, Yes. Uh, series as well as films. So, um, yeah, I have this like old, old history um, with, with another showbiz fam. That's so cool. So do you remember one of the first shows you were in? So let's see. Um, when I had started in that acting class, we didn't put on full scale productions. We did 
more improv sketches, which was actually really sort of fantastic, yes. fundamental uh, training. My first yes. acting teacher there in Soho, her name was yes. Denise. Um, and yeah, Denise encouraged us to follow our instincts, which is so important for, for actors. Yes. And um, so for the, those first couple years, just attending acting class, there wasn't, um, there wasn't a full-scale production. In fourth grade, I had heard or my mom had heard about this great acting class uh, at the Children's Aid Society in the village. And there was a guy named uh, Ed uh, Schloth who um, was teaching that acting class. And I went and I enrolled in that acting class. And the first thing I did at the Children's Aid Society with Ed was a production of um, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. And um, I played Bottom. And that was a that was a hefty amount of Shakespearean text for a fourth grader. Yes, gosh. And, and my mom, my mom recalls that it was seeing me in that production when she went, "Oh, like we've actually got a serious performer on our hands." Um, and really, I never, uh, you know, one thing that I think is pretty special about my artistic upbringing is I was encouraged and supported to pursue it from quite a young age. And I think, I think my family knew about me already from a young age that when I said something that when I said like, this is what I'm going to do with my life, I think they believed me. Uh, well, I had read, tell me if this is true that you had started doing drag when you were very young, like 10 years old. Is that true? Or as a not child? Ex um, not exactly. I don't know where the internet is wild. I don't know where it's wild that, yeah. where that came from really. But um, the, I mean, here's the thing at 10 years old, was I sort of dabbling and playing dress up? Yes. Had it started even much younger? Yes. I mean, I really started playing dress up probably at three and four years old. But um, I always joke, although it's really no joke, it's quite true for many people. Halloween is the gateway drug of drag. And um, I think more like mm. 13, I went over to a friend's house um, and we would, uh, we marched in the village Halloween parade uh, together. And I had one outfit planned. And by the time I left the house, I was dressed as a witch. And I kind of never went back on Halloween. You know, then Halloween became very important because it was this night where I took this, this dressing up out in, in public. Um, and so it was very sacred. And and then as I continued to develop my drag and express it on other days and nights, uh, Halloween became less important in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would say that was, that was probably 13 years old. Um, and then my first professional gigs in drag where I, where I got paid to perform in, in, in nightlife venues came in 2003. 
So, so this year is 20 years of <gasps> professional performing in drag. Oh, that's wonderful. So how did Alexis come to be? Did Alexis come in 2003 or later yes. on? Or? Yes, it was right around then. I, I didn't know how you did it. I didn't know how you broke into this field. Um, I've now learned that really, while there are multiple ways in, and now there's even more ways because some people come into it not even through nightlife at all, but through um, Instagram and TikTok and other online forums. But the really the way that you used to do it was you'd get in drag, you'd be developing your skills, your look, and you'd go out and you'd just meet people and find people that you know you clicked with and that whose performance art inspired you and that was sort of how you built connections and family and nightlife well i didn't know that and so i would march around to these west village bars with hard copy photograph printed photographs of me in hair and makeup uh, with a list of songs that i knew i knew how to perform and I would say, here, this is what I do. I want to come perform in your in your venue. Um, and um, and that was really that was really how it started. And I knew I needed a name. And at the time, I was, you know, reading the the gay magazines in New York, and there were people like Hedda Lettuce. Um, you know, on the pages of these magazines. And so I just thought, oh, I've got to come up with some campy, punny name. And I didn't come up with anything that felt organic, that felt right for me. And so at the time I said, well, I'll just feminize my given name. Mm -hmm. So I took Alex Michaels and made Alexis Michelle. And while wasn't a move that I was passionate about at the time. It was absolutely fitting because what I've come to learn over the years um, is that my drag and Alexis is not a character, not a separate person, not a different entity, but really just a female extension of, of myself, my female side. Um, I've wow. learned about myself that I'm pretty fluid and so Alexis really is just me expressing that part of myself. Um, and so it's very, very fitting. And I can't imagine having a different name. It's not true for everybody. Some people do have alter egos, characters, um, performance personas. So it's, it's not the same for, for all drag artists, for sure. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When did you know that you could take Alexis and go big? I think it always felt like a very true and organic expression that I had within my sort of bag of tools. Um, But I was pursuing theater, both in, um, you know, both in um, high school and in college. And when I came home from graduating from University of Michigan, I was very set on this legitimate um, conventional theatrical path. And I thought that revealing to anybody that drag was something that I did or was interested in would be a hindrance to my theatrical career. And so I was very secretive about it. I kept it very compartmentalized. And it was really upon starting to watch Drag Race, even from the first season of Drag Race, that I said, you know what? I want to do that. That's something I want to do. And as Drag Race grew into the overwhelming sort of empire that it is now um, with each passing year, I said, Oh, this is a real thing. Like this can be something I can do on a big scale. This can be a career. It can be part of a career. Um, So drag race really was the thing that kind of opened my eyes to that possibility. And it's not to say that, people who have been on Drag Race are the only people to do that. Obviously, RuPaul became the household name in drag long before Drag Race became a thing. Um, and there are other greats of, of the same generation and even earlier generations who paved the way, who made careers in this art form, even without the platform of Drag Race, people like Lady Bunny and Head of Lettuce and Varla Jean Merman and Coco Peru and Jackie Beat. Um, these are, are people who, they're the lifers. They're the people who, who, without this mainstream platform, found, found a way, found an organic path. And um, they're really my heroes in many ways. And is it true that you auditioned several times? Eight times before I got on season nine. So every year after the first season, I auditioned until season nine happened. What kept you intrepid? What kept you going back? I just felt from that, that kind of light bulb or light switch moment, um, when I said, oh, I want to do that, I felt it was part of my destiny. Um, I felt it was part of my story. I felt that being part of that sisterhood and legacy was something that I was going to do and that was important to me. Um, 
And I've learned at different stages in my life that persistence pays off. So can you talk about that last audition when you got on? Well, the funny thing is, and you hear this a lot in show business, that people are about to throw in the towel before the big thing happens. I think it was true for Jennifer Aniston before she got friends. Yes. She was about to switch gears. And, um, and I had, I had come to that crossroads. I had come to a crossroads where drag was, uh, a labor of love. Um, and it was bringing income in, but it was still in kind of the hobby category because it's such an expensive art form (laughs) and, um, the return just didn't match the investment. And I just was thinking, I, I can't keep doing this. I'm, I'm working full-time during the day. I'm working full-time at night. And I'm burning it at both ends. And I'm feeling burnt out. And, um, and so I was ready to switch gears, sort of pursue other things, go down different paths. And I wasn't even sure that I had had it in me, had the will to audition one more time for Drag Race. And it was my mom who said, hey, why don't you try it one more time? Uh, you're both home. Yeah. And, uh, and I tried it one more time. And uh, there, were two, there were a couple things that were different about the approach that last time. Uh, I think I finally had a better sense of this is me, take it or leave it. Mm. Um, I did try to do less of what I thought they wanted to hear and tried to be more authentic. And I think in turn, it was probably my funniest audition um, of them all. And because I remember, I remember when we started season nine, I remember uh, an executive producer saying to me on day one, you're funny. Don't, don't get, don't hold back. Don't hold back. You're very funny. Um, And, uh, and there was, there was also a bit, a lot of growth um, in the, physical drag itself there you know that was one thing that i think was cool about auditioning year after year was it was a way of taking stock of where you were in the art form it was like this is this is where you've taken it to this is where you've brought it to and um so there was definitely a big jump that year but i really think it was more of this like take it or leave it funny attitude and then the the final thing that i think made that different was I'd had help in the past, but that was the first time that I, particularly with this interview section, which there were, you know, probably 30 to 40 minutes of content to boil down into five or six minutes of interview. And I gave it to an editor and I said, here's the questions. Here are the marks that like have to be hit. You put it together in a way that you think is engaging and entertaining. And I think that having that outside eye is really, really helpful. I see. So you had to answer interview questions. And I see. Did you have to sing as well in the audition? 
Like, you didn't have to sing live. Um, obviously, lip syncing is sort of at the center right. of of the performative yes. aspect of the art form. However, singing has become a much bigger part of it now, and it's yes. always been a part of it for me. And so I did show them live singing in my audition, absolutely. Yes. And do you mind me asking, what was your day job at that oh, point? Oh, so... I mean, back in those days, I was doing a handful of things. Yeah. My most consistent work for for nearly a decade uh, after graduating from school was doing hair and makeup for um, a lot of actors' headshots. Um, I worked with the fantastic, incredible um, production photographer, Matthew Murphy. Um, <gasps> oh, Wow. And um, so Matt, good. of course, comes from a, a ballet background at ABT. And when he um, uh, had to step away due to uh, chronic fatigue, um, he picked up a camera and found this incredible talent. And around uh, 2009, is when he started to dabble in headshots for performers. And I uh, was there building that headshot business with him from the ground up, assisting him, supporting him, and doing people's hair and makeup. Um, so I worked with Matt for uh, nearly a decade, um, doing headshots, doing uh, promotional photos, album covers, as well as dabbling in special events for people like concerts, weddings. Um, and then additionally, I was working in events as a caterer and a florist and a decor designer. And uh, for a period of time, I worked in membership at Mark Fisher Fitness, uh, which was a boutique. Oh, yes. Jim catering to a lot of the theatrical community. Unicorns. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I know. Exactly. Yeah. So here you can you talk about how your life changed? I mean going on the show. There was a change that came even before I was yeah. cast on season nine of Drag Race. And that was in 2014. I had hit a real low personally in my uh, in a relationship that ended, um, my beloved first dog had died and, um, I needed something to pull myself out of the despair. And I turned my focus to drag this thing that had always brought me a lot of joy. Uh. And it was right, right then in that moment that I started doing drag full time. Um, it started with one night and it was two nights and it was three nights a week and things really started to change and accelerate. And in that time I started to meet some of the most incredible people I've ever met. Um, the people that I met in, in nightlife, in drag are really some of the most colorful and amazing people and, and, and still some of my best friends to this day. Um, so things started to change artistically and socially then. And then a couple of years later, getting cast on season nine of Drag Race uh, was really transformative in that upon 
uh, debuting and the show airing uh, in 2017. I've made my living solely as a performer since then. So I no longer had to sort of juggle, you know, three to five jobs at one time. Um, and that's a real gift and, and one of the things I'm forever grateful for the experience. And I know you have a very well-received cabaret show at Joe's Pub that you do. Uh, and also you release these wonderful songs, If You Want My Apples and Lulu Shoes. <laughs> Yeah. that are streaming now. Can you talk about that? What that gives you as, as an artist? So yeah. since 2017, I've been working with Brandon James Gwynn uh, yes. as a musical collaborator and music director, and we've become really great friends as well. And, um, you know, we've, we've performed at uh, 54 Below and Club Coming and and uh, all over the country as well. But um, this past June, we made, uh, I mean, Brandon had already played Joe's Pub, but I made my Joe's Pub debut, and we had two incredible sold-out nights. And in addition to doing um, a lot of stuff that is sort of, it was, most of it was new material for us, but um, it was in line with the kind of work that we do together. We got to debut these two original songs. And I couldn't believe, I said this in front of the audience, I can't believe after all these years of Brandon and I working together that I'm finally singing Brandon James Gwynn originals. And um, If You Want My Apples was born out of uh, needing to prepare a talent number for all stars for for the summer, and I had wanted to do "Let Me Entertain You" from Gypsy, and Brandon encouraged me, "Why don't we do an original?" He said, "It'll feel just like it. It'll hit all the same marks, um, but it'll be ours, and we can record it and put it out." And so that's how "If You Want My Apples" was born. And then as we were approaching the Joe's Pub debut. There's been all of this ridiculous focus and attacks on drag and drag artists and trans people. And Brandon wanted to write something fun and celebratory um, that really got at the essence of what drag really is, which is about joy and celebration and self-discovery. And that's really where Lulu Shoes came out of. And what's great about these songs is they sound like they're from Yes. you know, the golden age of musical theater, but they're, they're written right now. They're brand new. Um, and yes, they are streaming, uh, as well as, uh, a bunch of pop tunes that I released this year as singles with, um, 808 Annie and Mason Rose. And, uh, those are, um, God is a queen, which again is a tonic to the insanity being, targeted uh, at drag. Um, and uh, we put out a song called I'm Too Much, which is really a reclaiming of those words too much, which I think are used too frequently um, and somewhat dangerously, because I think 
the messaging of telling someone that they're too much can really have long-lasting and and dangerous effects on a person's self and psyche. And um, what I always remind people is if, if you're being told you're too much, you're most likely uh, being told that by someone who's not enough for you. Uh, yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so we put out uh, some great tunes some pop music this year as well. Also streaming everywhere that you stream. Um, and Brandon and I are super excited. We're going to be performing both of those uh, originals um, on September 22nd at Disney in Anaheim for Gay Days. That's phenomenal. I mean, I uh, think about the lyrics of if you want my apples, you're right. It's like, you know, Cole Porter-esque, you know, this kind of timeless you know, and I love, I love the idea of being too much because you're saying be more of you, you yeah, know, in a really positive, uplifting way. You're celebrating who you are. Because I've had I've had those words said to me sometimes in intentionally critical ways, uh -huh. and sometimes in a way that people think they're celebrating you, but I really. They're, they're some of my least favorite words um, to be said to to a person. Um, and so, yeah, the, that song was really about reclaiming them and celebrating all the things that, that make me or anybody special. God, that's so phenomenal. And will you be singing these songs on your upcoming Witch Perfect tour? So Witch Perfect... Uh, I won't be singing those songs, um, but Witch Perfect has really been one of the, the highlights of my career. Um, Tina Burner, also from my New York City drag days, um, as well as being a Drag Race alum, uh, Tina Burner and Blake Allen, um, who are also friends and musical collaborators, uh, wrote and developed this brilliant, brilliant parody of Hocus Pocus, our, you know, much beloved Halloween yes. movie, movies now. And um, what's really awesome about Witch Perfect is uh, Tina and Blake assembled a perfect cast, if you ask me, uh, in Tina leading us as Winifred and um, Scarlet Envy um, as just the, the brightest... Uh, brightest shiniest dumb blonde ever um playing uh sarah sanderson and then myself playing mary sanderson and what's great about the show in addition to being really hilarious i mean the script is so funny and we have so much fun doing it is everybody who comes there's something for everybody musically tina performs uh in character exclusively disney villain material <laughs> and Scarlett's material is all your favorite pop divas, but in a kind of jazzy presentation. And then uh, my material is drawing all from Broadway hits. So definitely something for everybody musically in which perfect. And we launch on September 28th and we'll run uh, with an international list of cities uh right up through halloween you're going all over yes <laughs> well we'll start with a few stops in the u.s 
then we'll tour a bit of Western or central, kind of central Western Canada. And then um, we'll head over uh, to Europe. Gosh, is there a role that you're aching to play? Because I know you have these very strong roots in, uh, in theater, in Broadway, off-Broadway, or is it yet to be written? There are many, and I will say I have a feeling that there's something that's yet to be written or something that's in process that will just fit like no other glass slipper could. Um, there is there's some really beloved source material that is in process uh, that that has been worked on already and it's continuing to be worked on um, that is actually having a full-scale production in the UK uh, this fall and that's um, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. So there's a Tu Wong Fu musical being developed by Douglas Carter Bean who wrote the script and um, I had the pleasure of seeing it in its first incarnation here in New York City and um, it's in further development now ahead of its UK run. And I um, will be very excited uh, and eager to put my, my, uh, myself in the, you know, in the casting room whenever it takes its next step. Um, Vita Boem is, uh, is definitely part of my core for sure. Um, and then there's other classic roles like Miss Hannigan and Annie. I mean, Carol Burnett left the greatest of impressions on me as a young, young person. And, um, and I've always thought a really interesting take on Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd would be having her played by um, someone who identifies as trans or um, someone who cross-dresses and is perhaps... Um, cause I've always thought, you know, there's things about Mrs. Lovett. She's unwed. She does, she's childless. And these are things that she would like. And I've always thought like, oh, these could be some of the reasons that she doesn't have these things in this time in history and in this community. Mm -hmm. These could be some of the reasons that she doesn't have those parts of her life that she wishes she had. Oh, that's really fascinating to see. I'd love to see that, Mrs. Lovett. Yes, and connecting with Sweeney in a, in a really fascinating way. Yeah. With perspective, certain perspective. Uh, what, when you think about you in five years, ten, ten years, where would you like to be? Well, definitely, you know, continuing to entertain make people think, make people feel by way of storytelling on stage, on screen, with music. Um, but there's there's other ways that I like to entertain as well. Um, my grandmother in particular showed me firsthand what it means to express love in the kitchen with with food and with cooking. And so cooking is a big part of my entertaining passion as well. And so there's a lot in that space that I um, am diving into. I mean, I, I've been a, a home cook and a, a home entertainer for years already. Um, and that's, that's something I want to continue to explore. And is there something you wish you could tell 
that little child who is in the audience of Into the Woods, knowing um, what you know now? You're not too much. And, and um, the things that you are often told that, uh, you know, those things about you that make people say that to you, those are special things and not things to be ashamed of, but things to celebrate and explore further. Oh, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing. It's been a thank joy you. to have you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to see which perfect. Yes, October 4th here in New York City and then uh, around the world. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Sarah Goodman and produced by Anna Strout. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.